If you want to listen to this episode or any of our episodes ad-free, you can do that now. Head on over to Patreon. Click on the ad-free level. You get all of our bonus shows that you've been hearing so much about. Plus, every single day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, you can listen to this episode or any of our other episodes at the same time, ad-free, over on Patreon. This is David. Welcome back behind the velvet rope. Let's just get right into it today because we are joined by the one, the only Mr. Tyler Henry. Hello. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you for being here. How are you doing today? You're in Malibu, LA area? No, Hollywood Hills now. I'm jumping all over the place, but uh, it's been great and I'm a medium in transit. (laughs) <laughs> I love it. Well, listen, first of all, congratulations on this new series, Life After Death with Tyler Henry. It is trending on the chart on the top of the Netflix charts. It premiered on March 11th. So here's the thing. I'm a professional, Tyler. So when I knew I was going to sit down with you, I figured, you know, I would watch an episode, maybe an episode and a half. Let me tell you something. All nine episodes are out. I could not walk away from my TV. I was drawn into this. I'm so glad. They definitely got the cliffhangers right. (laughs) It is such a good show. So listen, I want to talk all about this new show on Netflix, but I've seen you live in your live shows. I've watched you on Hollywood Medium. So I know the answers to a lot of these questions, but for everyone listening who wants to check out this show, let's just get to know you a little bit more for a few minutes before we talk about this new show. Perfect. So let's go back to when you were young. When did you first realize that you had this gift? So my first conscious moment of having this ability was actually when I was 10 years old. And it happened in the strangest way. It was April of 2006. And I woke up one night and I just had this knowingness that my grandmother was going to die. And I called it a knowingness because at the time it really felt like a memory that hadn't happened yet. It was very clear, I could recollect it, but it hadn't occurred. And so it was very confusing. And I went into the room to try to explain this to my mom and was really upset. And as I was explaining this to her, we were interrupted by her phone ringing. And so she paused and we took a beat and she picked up the phone. And it was actually the news from my dad in that moment that my grandmother had just died. So while my mom was technically receiving the news for the first time, I felt like I was kind of processing it for the second. And it really changed my grief process as I moved forward, even at 10 years old. Well, yeah, I would imagine that it would. I mean, and then what was that like? Were you like, okay, this was a premonition, this is strange? Or I mean, did you realize like this is something bigger right away at that point? Because I could imagine a lot of different things going through your mind. Sure. At 10 years old, you know, you don't even have a clear understanding of your identity. So it was more something that happened to me. And then as it would happen again and again and again, and I would get these moments of knowingness at school as I would interact with kids and teachers, I found that it was something that could be considered more of an ability. But by the time I was 13, I realized this wasn't going away. This was part of who I was. And uh, at that age, I started trying to exert a little bit more control over it, which was really a predecessor to the readings that you see today. 
So from having this premonition at 10 with your grandmother and then to 13, like when in this process do you then decide to tell your parents? I imagine they're the first people you told. Sure. Well, my mom was obviously the first one to hear about the premonition, but my dad actually was kept in the dark uh, at 16 years old. When I finally had the courage to work professionally as a medium, I graduated high school early. I enrolled in college to try to become a hospice nurse. I was the youngest in my class. Um, but while I was doing that, I was also doing readings on the side. And being that I grew up in a small town, my mom said that I needed to get permission from my dad. So I kind of had to come out of that psychic closet at 16 years old and share with my dad that I was a medium. And not only that, but that I had gotten a premonition about his own mother's death shortly before it happened. So that was a game changer for sure. And what was your father's reaction to that? He didn't even understand what a medium was, but it took time and he ultimately found different ways to kind of test me, to get an understanding of how it worked, one of which involved him actually giving me a yearbook of his and having me go through it and seeing if I got any psychic impressions about any classmates of his. And I was actually successfully able to point to a number of classmates of his who had died. And he knew there's no way I could know that. So there were little kind of tests and, and as partly just ways of trying to get an understanding of how it works, if it can be done from a distance, if I need somebody in person. Uh, so once my dad understood, he became one of my biggest supporters. Wow. Yeah, I imagine if you're going through the yearbook and you're pointing out to people that he knows and you're telling him things about them, that's kind of a foolproof method there. Exactly. It was like a sixth sense moment. <laughs> That's what about, I mean, you know, you're 10, 10 to 13, like what were your emotions going through this? Like, were you scared at first? Like, were you confused? When it comes to scary things, seeing frightening things, I think people think of mediums as kind of living in a world of constant scariness. I would say that really the only time I dealt with much difficulty in that regard was between the ages of 10 and 13. Um, I would get very strong impressions around the kids that I was at school with and very often would get insight into maybe arguments that their parents were having or personal life issues they were going through. And I would share these almost casually because they felt like memories that were similar to my own and people would validate them as being correct. So I dealt with a lot of fear. A lot of people were quite frightened with how I was able to do what I do. Uh, we talked about skeptics and kind of a modern incarnation, but back then I didn't really deal with skepticism as much as I dealt with people being very unsure of how I was able to do this and what that meant. Were people's parents like, okay, that's the child to stay away from? I mean, I make a joke of it. It's such a gift, but you know. It fell into two camps. So in one camp, I had a close friend that I shared with this ability and she told her mother and her mother was a religious fundamentalist whose church I had attended. And she had a whole prayer circle for my soul uh, with the group of her friends. And I discovered that at a very early age. And it was very painful to hear that at a time when I was still trying to figure out who I was and what I was, that people felt the need to pray for my existence as a child. Um, equally though, I dealt with some people who were interested, who were open-minded, you know, parents who would hear what I said and would wanna meet with me after school. So it definitely fell into two camps as it still does today. Absolutely, like in a way you were maybe the ostracized child or the most popular child on the playground. Exactly, and I think there's something to be said about the very things I was bullied for kind of became the things I'm applauded for now as an adult. So it speaks to the importance of just being true to who you are. Absolutely. Did you ever think of, you know, like you have this ability, did you ever go down that road of like you graduated early of, you know, hey, I want to be a fireman, a teacher, an accountant. Like, did you ever think of doing anything else with your life once you realized you had this gift? 
Well, I definitely felt that hospice nursing would be the most practical application of what I could do. It meant that I would still be able to share my ability, but not in the public sense. I saw certain difficulties that came with being public medium, what that meant, what that entailed. And I didn't think I was ready for that, being that I'm a very private, very introverted, very non-Hollywood kind of person. Uh, but after the dean of my college encouraged me to pursue readings, you know, one thing led to another. And I think when the dean of your school is telling you, hey, you should consider this career path, I took it as a sign that maybe it was good to go in a different direction. Absolutely. Were you, when you were a hospice nurse, just because, you know, like I've had people in my family, like in hospice, you know, it's like, did these, did that kind of cross over in a sense of like, it is a different job. Sure. Well, I never graduated school as a hospice nurse, but I went to school with the goal of trying to become one. And so in that, we were immersed with professors and other uh, students who had sometimes family who worked in hospice. And it was amazing to hear how many stories actually aligned with my kind of spiritual beliefs that I was gradually uh, developing. So many people report that at the end of life, you know, people will see apparitions of the departed. It's very common within hospice to have those who are on their way out report seeing people who've passed, who preceded them, getting an overwhelming sense of comfort or having some form of a need to kind of tie up loose ends. And that seems to be across the board what's often reported in hospice. Wow. What about when you first started doing this? I know you started doing it in like the neighborhood, like in your early teens, mid teens, like when did it become a thing? Like before you did it in the public eye, like was it just word of mouth around the neighborhood? People were knocking on your door. Absolutely. You know, I always said, if you really can talk to dead people, you won't need to advertise. People will just come to you. And that is exactly what happened. At the age of 16, graduating, I was doing readings through word of mouth, and people were literally coming to my front door, leaving notes, um, you know, begging my parents for readings. So it, it was important for my dad to kind of be in the know because it was starting to get pretty hairy. Um, but at the age of 17, I read my first celebrity client that was with Sarah Paulson. Um, and she called me on the phone one day and we had an amazing experience. And the, my hand was shaking the entire time because I was a huge American Horror Story fan. Um, and that really is kind of when I think the celebrity world kind of opened up. Sarah just had heard of you just from like living in the area, Southern California. That's right. She'd heard of me through somebody through word of mouth and uh, that tends to be kind of how it works. So it was pretty intriguing. Now, does anyone else see the irony of this, that you are a huge American horror story fan and it's Sarah Paulson? And I mean, she played a medium. I mean, I thought that was the funniest thing. It was such a, a natural synergy for being the first uh, celebrity client. See, so you know who some of the celebrities are, right? Now I do a lot more. Now, granted, I was a fan back then, but I feel like in season one of my show, Hollywood Medium, I was such a little country bumpkin. I knew so few people. And then as seasons went on, I think I recognized more people, but um, definitely was an adjustment. I feel like a bit of a baby. I started at 19 with a TV show. So I'm a lot more in that world now than I was then. <laughs> yes. From someone who lives in pop culture, like myself, I'm like, Tyler, how could you, what? Like, how could you not know this person? Come on. Of course, of course. How did Hollywood Medium originally come about for you? Hollywood Medium came about as a result of me reading a number of people and really kind of jumping through a bunch of hoops. Um, I met the future producer of the show, 
at a Christmas party and he'd heard about me through word of mouth and he was interested in a reading, but he was very skeptical. And so I met with him the next day. And as we sat together, he handed me an object and I brought through a really compelling message for him that substantiated to him that this was real. And he didn't understand how I was able to do it, but he knew I could. And so one thing led to another. I read a number of executives. I was tested a number of times by going to random locations and they'd fill rooms with family members or friends or strangers. And they would see how I would be able to perform not knowing anything. And so it was a way of vetting me to ensure that if they were going to spend all the money on a TV show, that I could actually do what I said I could do. Um, but I ended up reading, I want to say, close to about 50 people before the show ever even materialized. So it was a lot of kind of proving myself. Wow. Were you nervous? Like, just because you say, like, I mean, you know, you are a private person. I mean, now you're in, you know, the spotlight and you have this new great Netflix show, Life After Death. But like, were you you know, did you have reservations at that time going down this road of? Absolutely. You know, I didn't know what to expect. And I think when you're 19 and you're just starting off and you've got your, your very big uh, break, you know, I, I was very excited, but I didn't know what to expect. And as time's gone on, I've taken it in stride. I'm so appreciative of the responses that I get. People stop me in the supermarket and sometimes they'll just cry, you know, because the show means something to them so much more than just an actor or a singer. Um, it represents a connection. And to be able to see that intensity is really meaningful. But as an introvert, I definitely have to have a healthy work-life balance. Yeah, it's kind of like everyone is expected, you know, whatever your profession is to do it 24-7. You're like, this is not fair, guys. Sure. Do you have it, like, I live in New York City. Like, do you have things, like, when you go to a city like New York or something where it is so intensified, like, do you, is it, like, information overload, like, when you walk down the street? It really is. And it can be very overstimulating. I was actually just in New York and, you know, the smells alone are distracting, but to have that whole other kind of layer of intuitive impressions uh, definitely means that I don't tend to leave the hotel much. Um, anybody who sees me before a live show where I, I read audiences full of people, um, they know that I basically just spend time alone as much as I can, basically trying to minimize any input, any sensory stimulation, um, so that I can really get into that state that's necessary to be hyper aware of my mind and my body, because all of that's free game for information to come through. Is that why, like, we've seen on your first show and on now Life After Death, like, you don't drive to your appointments, your assistant drives you. Is that why? Or, I mean, listen, I live in New York, so I'm not a fan of driving. So there I, you go. I feel you. And understandably, you know, I have to say it's actually more out of laziness for me. You know, I, I never got my driver's license. I had a, a brain surgery at the age of 18. And the doctor said, oh, well, you haven't got it yet. Maybe you should wait a little bit. And you know what? I'm 26. Clock's ticking. And I still don't want to get it because I much prefer to be chauffeured around. <laughs> Especially when so much uh, comes through on my way to the readings. I think it actually is helpful that I have somebody else worrying about the highways and probably for the highways sake, it's better. <laughs> and that's really like, we've seen it on this new show. Like that's what happens. Like as you're heading there, like, is it that same day? Like when do people start coming through? Like when you're going to a particular reading? Totally varies depending on the strength of the person, but typically within 24 hours before the reading, I will have some intuitive impression about what I'm walking into and what I likely need to share. Um, there are times though where it's came, came weeks before I've actually met a person um, and then sometimes lingered weeks after a reading is done. So I think this new show does assert you know, one of those misconceptions, which is the idea that the reading starts when I sit down and ends when I get up. In fact, it actually takes up a big chunk of my life. I'll admit it, as important as it is for me to eat healthy and put the right nutrients into my body and hydrate, 
I'm really not great at it. I'm always on the go. I'm never making that a priority. And I'm always hungry. This was a real problem until I discovered 310 Nutrition. I love 310 Nutrition's water hydrators. You just add them to water and they make your water taste so much better. They also have refreshing lemonade mixes. My personal favorite, they're all in one shapes. I love their caramel sundae, their vanilla cake, the shamrock cream. I drink one of these shakes and it totally satisfies my hunger. They're low in fat and low carbs, which I love. They also satisfy my carb craving. But don't take my word for it. Right now, 310 is celebrating a new year of goals with code VELVETROPE and giving our listeners 50% off up to $100 off your first order. With so many sample packs, new products, it's really fun and it's easy to put together an order or start a subscription on products you know you'll use. Go to 310nutrition.com and use the code VELVETROPE right now for 50% up to $100 for your first order. That's 310nutrition.com and use code VELVETROPE. You guys know that I'm out here living my best life this summer in the Hamptons. And look, I mean, part of that was like, I kind of doubled down on my therapy with Talkspace. Like I need a clear head. I'm going to have a good summer. And look, I mean, a lot of thoughts and emotions and life situations, you know, they get in my way. I'm sure they get in everyone's way and they stack up and, you know, it's, there's no shame in today's day and age and, you know, saying, Hey, I I need to talk to someone. And I personally don't want to talk to my friends. I don't want a bunch of yes people that are just going to, you know, yes me to death. I really find that talk space and talking to a licensed trained therapist, someone that has an outside perspective has really helped me. And I love, you know, that I am out here in the Hamptons. You don't need to go to someone's office. This can all be done over the phone, Zoom. It's a great way to get high level therapy and the help you need at like a fraction of the cost. So listen, if your thoughts and emotions are piling up, listen, it's the summer guys, you need to have a happy summer. You can match with one of their dedicated therapists today at talkspace.com and you use promo code velvet during signup to get $100 off your first month. That's $100 off at talkspace.com with promo code velvet. Dame Products is a series of female vibrators, and they have so many options to choose from. You know that saying, no good deed goes unpunished? Well, I recommended Dame Female Vibrators to all my friends. And let me tell you something. Now they're giving me feedback. You know, it's like TMI, ladies. But listen, you guys have to hear about Dame Products. It's a series of female vibrators. You can choose the Evo, which is really their first and most iconic product. It's a hands-free couples vibrator designed to enhance partner play without getting in the way. There's the Fin, which is a finger vibrator designed to be an extension of your hand for both partner and solo play. You could choose the Palm, which is a soft and flexible vibrator that bends to the curb of your body. I also should mention like Dame has aloe lube and sex oil. It's really kind of like a one-stop shop with so many options to choose from. Listen, go to Dame like all my girlfriends did, but you can keep the feedback to yourself. If you're having fun and you enjoy it, I don't need to hear all the details. As a listener of this podcast, you can go to dameproducts.com. You enter code VELVETROPE and you get 15% off your entire order site-wide. Yeah, that's 15% off. And the best part, Dame offers hassle-free returns within 60 days. So your satisfaction is literally a guarantee. Power up your pleasure with a palm or any of the other toys I just mentioned from Dame Products. Go to dameproducts.com, enter code VELVETROPE today and you get 15% off site-wide. I don't want to sound so negative here today, but listen, I'm not getting any younger. You know, who is? And I have so many more aches and pains these days than ever before, not to mention the fact that I've been killing it at the gym, and I'm even more sore these days than anything else. And 
I need a good night's sleep. Like if you think I can do this podcast without a good night's sleep, I can't. And I used to have a problem sleeping, but I have to tell you, Dormeo's mattress topper has really helped me get a much better night's sleep. The best thing about it is it's a fraction of the cost of a new mattress. So you can get that new bed feeling without like actually having to buy a new bed. And so like for me, like it means like I don't wake up like, and everyone's going to know what I'm talking about, like hot and sweaty, you know, when you're trapped from all that body heat, like this mattress topper just it breathes and it's great it has a full range of sizes from twin all the way up through king so if you think i'm in a better mood it's because i'm getting a better night's sleep and that's because of dormeo mattress topper right now you can go to dormeo.com velvet and you'll receive 30 percent off your dormeo mattress topper that's the best offer you'll receive anywhere but you have to go to dormeo.com velvet remember with their 10-year warranty and a hundred night risk-free trial plus free shipping it's crazy not to give dormeo a try wow you're right and have you ever like followed up with someone like you said like it's weeks later like something will come to you and you're like wait i have to add this to the reading Oh, absolutely. Yeah. There's so, so often things won't click initially or make sense to me. And then as time goes on, it'll end up kind of landing in a meaningful way. Wow. Before we talk more about life after death, am I attributing too much? Listen, we've seen you read all of these celebrities and I want to talk about, I think it's such a brilliant idea that life after death is not celebrities. I have a lot to say about that, but you know, when you read, for instance, Khloe Kardashian and you have like Kylie in the room and you're saying, listen, A, I don't think that this is the person you're going to be with for the rest of your life. B, you did say something like I see someone and like he's trying to get with like two sisters or two whoever. Like, am I doing too much in attributing you for like breaking the whole Jordan Woods? <laughs> you know, I, I got the credit for that one and I don't take it because for me, I didn't even really understand what I was getting or how it, it fits. If it applies, you know, great. But yeah, I, I definitely, when I, when I know I'm on the right track, when I know I nailed it, I take credit for it equally. If I didn't, I don't. So I'll leave that up for the viewer as far as how on, you know, they thought I really was with that, but I would say definitely got some baggage. There was definitely some emotional stuff there. It's tricky with editing too, because you never know what's going to make the cut. So there was a lot that was said that they, you know, removed. (laughs) And then do you feel like when it's someone like a Chloe, who I know you've gotten to know, like same network, like at that time, like, do you feel like to pull someone over afterwards and say like, listen, there's more to this or here's what I see? Absolutely. And, you know, I did it very often on, on the show that was focused more on celebrities out of respect for their public image. Um, but on the show, the new show I did, Life After Death, I do it even for regular people, right? There's certain things that come through that maybe are a little too personal or um, might put someone in a position that I don't want them in. So I like to share that information in a way that's private with good intentions so that they know it's just for them. Um, and very often it's those things that are the most validating and the most personal, but I try to honor their privacy. Now that that makes a lot of sense. Now we see on life after death, we see your method is there's always a pen, there's always a pad. We see this is your method. Walk me through that. Like, when did that start? You know, and that's, I imagine like, that's a requirement. Like if I said you need to read someone and you can't have a pad or a pen. I'll tell you this, it isn't a requirement, but it strongly helps. And by that, I mean this, uh, the scribbling started for me as a teenager when I was actually on the phone with a girlfriend one day and I was doodling and we were doing the homework and talking about the day. 
And I found that as I was doodling, I was actually having a hard time concentrating on what she was saying. And instead kind of was like daydreaming every time I just kind of started doodling to the point where I just started focusing on the doodles. And I realized very quickly that something about that process of just letting your mind wander, letting your hand wander, it helped facilitate that necessary mindset to do readings. So if anything, the scribbling process is more about the act of scribbling than it really is anything significant that gets written on the page or the scribbles themselves. They look cool, but it's really the process that acts as kind of a necessary shift that um, turns the process on so that when I'm not scribbling, I can kind of shut it off. Technically, I can do readings without scribbling, but it helps. And it's definitely kind of like my crutch so that I can maintain some normalcy in my day-to-day -day life. That makes sense. And look, no one's going to want you not to give them the best reading, right? So there you go, right? So that's why the notepad, it really does help. Scribble away. What happens? I mean, I'm just so curious. And I think that's the reason why this show is trending on the top of the Netflix charts. Like it's just, people are just so curious. Like what happens to you? I mean, do you have like an out-of-body experience? Is Tyler present? Like, do you see things? I mean, what, what happens? Absolutely. You know, I, I always say my sixth sense uses the other five senses to communicate. So I don't see dead people walking around. It's not, you know, like a state of constant terror. Um, if anything, I've kind of trained myself to actively daydream, to get into a state of meditation where I'm hyper aware of the subtle impressions, the subtle changes that happen in my mind and my body. And so sometimes that will come through as a feeling of a memory that is not mine, but feels like mine. Um, sometimes I'll get a feeling of almost like a song being stuck in my head, um, but it might be a phrase or it might be a sentiment. Um, there's even times where I'll get physical sensations that correspond with how somebody died. And that's kind of my cue to, to kind of get an indicator of where I'm supposed to kind of focus. But I kind of liken it to, you know, in a reading, my body is like a canvas and whoever comes through kind of paints the picture with my senses of what they want to convey about their lives, their death. And it is very interpretational. So, um, you know, I'm not seeing dead people walking around. It's, I wish it were that clear cut, but maybe I don't equally, you know, it, it would also present a lot of challenges. And then what happens? We've all seen the sweating, you know, is it, is that good? Like the more you sweat, that's, that means something's happening here. Sweating is a great sign. I used to hate it for the sake of being on camera because you know what it's like, but at this point I've embraced it as far as that goes. Um, it typically is an indicator that something's happening, that physical impressions are starting to come through. Typically those are the strongest, meaning that um, physical sensations that correspond with how somebody died are usually the most overwhelming or primary focus of a reading. Um, when that happens, it means that I have a relatively clear connection and it means that likely the accuracy of the reading will, will be kind of continual and consistent and, and pretty good. Um, if I'm not sweating, it means I'm just kind of trying my best to get, get to that place. And then what happens? I mean, we see on the show often, you know, the person, I guess that they really want to come through, comes through, but what happens like if someone comes to you for a reading and someone else comes through. It's a valid reading, like it's a true sure. person and they're like, does that happen a lot? I mean, like we're like, okay, someone wants their mother and it's their second cousin's best friend. It happens all the time. And I really am of the philosophy that people hear who they need to hear from versus maybe who they wanna hear from. There are certain factors that, that uh, cause certain people to come through versus others. Sometimes the strength of the communication um, on the person coming through's end can, can influence things, but yeah, I always kind of have this joke of, you know, you might want to hear from your mother and you might end up hearing from your mother-in-law and that's okay. But, you know, I definitely as a medium have no control over who or what comes through.
and you feel like there's usually a reason like whoever comes through there's some reason yes why yes Absolutely. Typically, you know, people come to a reading wanting some degree of clarity. Um, my goal is just to leave people with validation, with some sense of confidence that, you know what, in leaving this experience, I can move maybe a little more clearly in this direction of my life or with the knowingness that I'm not alone. Um, but different people need different things, for sure. Do you see one theme that people need the most? I mean, other than the obvious, you know, you want to know that your loved ones are okay. I would say when, when I think about the bulk of the people that contact me for readings, so many people, even with loved ones who died under the best of circumstances, have regret. So many people come to me because either something went unsaid or undone. And that knowingness has changed how I live my life. And I think speaks to the importance of validating our loved ones in the here and the now, those who are still with us, you know, picking up the phone checking up on these people, contacting and connecting with those that mean something to us. Because so often, uh, you know, life happens and things go a different direction. And I think we can minimize the degree of regret that we have in the future by saying it now, by communicating now, by not going to bed angry um, and just making sure those you love are on the same page with you. That makes a lot of sense. And I would imagine no matter what you did during the person's life, everyone. I mean, I've experienced it in my own life with people that are no longer here. Like you just, no matter what, you just have regret. Exactly. Even under the best of circumstances. So I think we can live accordingly with that in mind. That makes a lot of sense. What about, have you ever, like, look, certain people die because they're not good people. Like they, you know, were criminals or whatever. Do you ever get a sense when you're reading someone like, does that come across like, oh, wait, this person's here for a reason, but I get a sense they were a bad person. And is that really your job to even bring that up or not really? It's just delivering who's coming through for that reading. That's a great way to even ask that question. Absolutely. I've, I've learned through this process to try to not judge the people that I bring through and to try to not judge the people I'm reading. Um, I've read great people and brought through great people. And I've read people who, you know, unfortunately did do some tough things and same with people who came through on the other side. Um, what I can say is my job has taught me that we have a lot more in common than we have different. It's given me a compassion for people no matter where they're at in their life um, or whatever that looks like. Uh, but I really think it speaks to one of my favorite Maya Angelou quotes, which is uh, being that I'm human, nothing human is foreign to me. And I love that quote because it really encompasses this work. I see so many stories, so many faces, so many lives and deaths. And really, we have a lot more in common than we have different. That makes a lot of sense, too. So how did life or death come about for you? How did the show come about? And, you know, what who brought up this idea of, you know, we're not going to read Khloe Kardashian or Snooki anymore. We're going to read actual people that are on the 300,000 waiting lists that you have. Well, you know, I was so happy to be able to do this show because it's the show I wanted to do from the very beginning. It was a stipulation as I went with the e-network originally that it needed to be in some way focused on celebrities. And so while I was very thankful for that platform, that definitely was out of my wheelhouse. It wasn't something that was kind of natural for me. Uh, whereas reading everyday people, I consider myself a regular guy. Um, that's really where my passion lies and being able to bring assistance to people where there's a genuine need. And it's not to say that celebrities don't have needs, but reading regular people has, has really, to me, been where my passion can shine, where my ability has the most effectiveness in being able to reach people who might not be able to come to LA um, or might just have these extraordinary testaments uh, of loss and resilience and can really 
use that platform to share their story. Okay, I need to tell you guys about Radix Remedies. Listen, Radix Premium Cannabis was started by three lifelong friends and cannabis connoisseurs. Can you imagine being a cannabis connoisseur? I swear I'm in the wrong line of work. But listen, their hottest item and the one that I like the best is the THC gummies. Now, those are pretty self-explanatory. It's a cannabis edible. I mean, they make you feel great. They're like the brownies that you're probably used to, but I don't know. To me, there's just something better about the gummies. They enhance my reaction time. They reduce my anxiety. Now, everyone who knows me knows that I'm a New Yorker. My mind doesn't shut off and I have trouble sleeping. And I swear Radix Sleepy Bears really help me. They're delicious. And basically they're the most effective sleep aid that I have ever used. They're gummies that you just kind of take at night. They're cannabis and melatonin infused, and they really help me sleep. And I mean, if you think I could do this podcast without a good night's sleep, I mean, come on now. There's so many other products that Radix has to offer, topicals. Now, all of their products can be purchased as monthly subscriptions at reduced rates because you're listening to this podcast. There's free shipping on orders over $35 and you get 15% off with the promo code VELVET. So go to www.radixremedies. That's www.radix. R-E-M-E-D-I-E-S.com. Go and check them out. Take advantage of all the special offers that we've secured for you listeners. And remember, Radix, your remedy. And now back to the show. I got to tell you guys about the Diggs Revol dog crate. Now, the Revol is a collapsible dog crate that's easy to set up, transport, and store. So, you know, those like old fashioned, like big dog crates that you're used to that take up so much room when you're not using them, not the Revol. Like what you can do is you just need to take one hand and you literally, you raise it up and you put it together and then you can collapse it. So when you're not using it, you can store it and it's so easily transportable. It has a carrying handle and wheels, and it's easy to clean thanks to the removable bottom tray. And it comes in four different colors, and it really does look like a piece of furniture instead of like a dog crate. And it is the summer, so you guys all have your summer vacations. You know, they also have a great passenger travel carrier. So, you know, when your dog wants to travel, why not travel in style? And listen, it's a five-star crash test rating. So it's also safe if you're going to take your dog anywhere. And now just from listening to this podcast, you can get 15% off your Revolt or your passenger purchase for your little furry friend. Go to digs.pet slash velvet. That's digs, D-I-G-G-S dot pet slash velvet to get 15% off your purchase. And I mean, let's face it. The average person who's watching Netflix and watching the show is not a celebrity. I'm sure lots of celebrities watch, but it really makes, I think, the general masses of the world feel like I could be getting a reading from Tyler. Absolutely. And and that's the goal. And that's one of the beautiful things, too, is I think there's messages in every reading that other people can take away. Even if you're not sitting in that chair receiving that experience, I think when you see other people's loved ones validate where they're at in their life or maybe how they lived or how they died, I think people can take that as an opportunity to apply that to their, their loved ones to know that there's still some connection. Do you get, we see this in this show too, like, you know, where you're involved in this, where you're like, maybe this was a hit and run. Do you get a lot of requests from people like, you know, police and like authorities to be involved? I mean, there's only so much of you to go around, but do you get a lot of that? Absolutely. And even before doing the show, there was a lot of interest regarding missing people, families of missing people that had reached out. And what this really taught me in doing the show was that working with a private investigator was a must. 
Uh, as a medium, I have no control over what I get. And so it was helpful to share those impressions with an intermediary, somebody who was involved in the case, but not so close to it that they were like a family member. Um, because it allowed me to share what I got honestly, concisely, and with ease, um, even if it was bad news. And I've learned that that's kind of one of the valuable ways to do it if I'm going to touch on missing persons or anomalous cases. I'm at a place in my ability where I feel like I'm still learning and still growing as a medium. So I hope that in my 30s, my 40s, as I get older, um, that I can do more in that realm. But it has to be done ethically and in a way that in my opinion, it works best through a private investigator versus working with families directly because it's just too personal. Yeah, I, I would imagine that that's really personal. Well, speaking of personal, your mom's a big part of this series. We learned that she learned only like two, three years ago that she was raised by people that were not her biological parents and she was kidnapped when she was young and that the person who raised her was a convicted murderer. I mean... Talk to me about this. Like, I mean, I can't even imagine the emotions that your mother and then you must have gone through when this happened in real life. In so many ways, I found myself relating to the vulnerability that the client show when they're getting read because I found myself in a very vulnerable position of needing clarity, needing answers that I couldn't provide for myself and trying to help my mom get a semblance of kind of answers or, or clarity or closure. Um, this all happened just naturally as we learned in the past few years that the people I thought were my grandparents were not. A lot of people wonder intuitively if I ever had any suspicions and the answer is actually yes. Um, I had asked my mom as a child, uh, are you sure that Stella is your mom? Are you sure? And she'd say, oh, we look too much alike. We have to be as much as we don't want to be. So I definitely had a hunch, but only did we really get the, uh, the science to back it recently with coming back as a completely different heritage than I thought I was uh, from an ancestry test and kind of the journey it set us down. <laughs> and your mother never thought to maybe listen to you when you were saying this based on your gifts and... You know, I was young and I think kids say a lot of things and, you know, I, I think the resemblance really was uncanny. They really have almost like the same exact face. So it, it would be very easy to think, oh, that's, you know, biological relative. Wow. That's just, I mean, I, I can't imagine that. Is it harder when, I mean, and do people in your life that are cousins, friends, I mean, do you get a lot of like, Hey, we're at a party. By the way, you got five minutes, Tyler. Do you want to go over in the corner and do something for me? Like, do you get a lot of requests from people you know? Absolutely. And I keep a very tight circle. But funny enough, even for the people who don't want readings in my life, I sometimes am the one giving them the readings and actually reaching out to them. Um, even with my partner of five years, Clint, there's still times where we'll be hanging out, unwinding late at night, and I'll look over at him and I'm like, you need to call home because of so-and-so and so-and-so. And so, and so. And so yeah. often it'll end up making sense. He'll call home, something just happened. And so it's kind of a way of keeping tabs from a distance. Uh, and it, it does occur. And it's always really strange. He appreciates it, which I appreciate. But it, it definitely could be kind of weird for somebody who's not used to having a medium in their life. He does appreciate it because I would say, I mean, I would appreciate it. I would think someone would appreciate it, but I guess I could see the alternative. I mean, doesn't he feel it like leads a protection, right? To yeah, absolutely. It's kind of nice to know we have eyes, you know, on his family in Georgia and we're in California. So <laughs> it's never a dull moment. How, how do you handle like what we talked about? Like you're at the grocery store, you know, like people might come up to you and cry because they've seen life after death or, but, you know, I imagine they then might want a reading on the spot. Like, how do you, I mean, you can't, you can't. How, so how do you handle that? 
Sure. Well, I definitely don't travel with my notebook. <laughs> I'm always like, oh, no notebook. I don't know. And they're like, here's a napkin. And I'm like, oh, okay. All right. We'll give it a shot. <laughs> but, you know, I, I do explain to people that there is a time and a place. And I want to make sure that if they're going to have the experience that we have the right environment where they're going to get the most out of that experience. And so typically it takes about an hour. I like to have, uh, you know, some allocated kind of quiet time. And when I explain that that's necessary for the process, people tend to understand but so often I'll give people free readings, uh, you know, people who do run into me, I often will feel I'm kind of meant to run into. And so very often, you know, I'll give them my assistance number, they'll set it up, and then we do the reading. And it's how I do a lot of my readings. I just kind of let meaningful coincidence guide me to whoever I'm meant to connect with. Wow. When you started doing this, when you had this discovery at 10, you know, did you ever in your wildest dreams, even when you started the show, think that your real life wait list would be 300,000 people? I am still so humbled by that fact. And for me, it's just a reminder of how lucky I am and how privileged I am to be in my position. You know, it's, it's so tricky because as an introverted person, um, you know, I, I wish I could do what I do kind of anonymously. If anything, like the fame aspect is more of a hindrance for me. <laughs> I, I wish that I could just uh, got to duplicate myself and help as many people as I could. And it, it really is a reminder, uh, you know, that it's about the work more than anything. Right. And it's really bringing so much peace and happiness to so many people. You mentioned your partner, Clint. Yes, you just celebrated your five year anniversary. Listen, you you met at a young age. So like, does this ability, which is deals with people that have passed away, does it carry over to your life? Like, I mean, you got a relationship right, right out of the bat or early on in life. Like, do you have a sense of just meeting people in the here and now of like, you're a good person. I can tell your intentions or it doesn't really work that way. I'm just now putting things up on you and giving you powers that you don't really have. No, I love it. You know what? We all have an intuition and the word intuition breaks down to inner tuition or inner knowledge. And it's something we all can tap into. I certainly do in my life. I would say readings are an intuitive process, right? I have to go with kind of an inward process. I have to trust what I'm getting, but equally, I definitely can get that semblance or that sense with living people. So I versus categorizing people as like good people or bad people. I really kind of categorize more people, more and more long lines of like, is this somebody I resonate with? or somebody I don't resonate with. And that kind of understanding of resonance has allowed me to cultivate some really meaningful relationships um, that have hung in there, thankfully. So I tend to get a pretty good first impression of whether I'm compatible with somebody or whether I'm not. And so I just kind of adjust accordingly and, and do my best to kind of meet that in whatever way is necessary. <laughs> well, that, that makes a lot of sense. Now, I don't know if he knew who quote unquote you were when you guys first met, but I mean, was that, I imagine, like you said, like, was that a strange thing of like, what do you do for a living? Like, was that, I imagine, I mean, you're dating for five years now, but I imagine before that people would have some reaction to that. It was something, you know, he actually had seen me on the Kardashians when I think, oh, I was like 18. I was a baby with bad eczema. I was like bright red, but I, I remember going on that show and shortly after he had seen me and he reached out and his mom had reached out wanting a reading. Um, and it coincidentally, his grandfather had actually just passed away a few months prior and had taken his own life. And so um, when I got a very strong impression from his grandfather, I shared that with him via private message. And it actually explained why his grandfather did what he did. And it was so specific and so kind of unknowable that he and his family knew this is why his grandfather 
passed away. And that moment created an immediate bond. I was able to help provide closure to him with that death and with his family, um, and which I think really set a precedent of just being very close right from the get-go and really it kind of felt a part of the family in an interesting way right from the beginning. So really what you're saying is in a roundabout way, not even in a roundabout way, we have like Kris Jenner and the Kardashians to thank for your relationship. You know what, in a roundabout way, or maybe not so roundabout, you're right. That's, that's absolutely the case. Is this true? I don't know where I read this, that, I mean, living when you lived in Malibu, like did Cher want, I don't know if I saw this on the show, did Cher want you to come play tennis or something with her? I, I mean, listen, I'm like a self-respecting gay man too. I have to ask. I love that you know this and yes. So I ran, I ran into a relative of hers at a Starbucks randomly and she's like, oh, you got to come over. And then we, we exchanged numbers and then Cher wanted me to come over. I guess she has a tennis court. They offered me to go swimming. I was in shock. I was so nervous. I still haven't done the reading but uh, my god I mean to meet somebody like Cher would be insane okay so let's just break this down are you telling me that you're too busy I mean you have the show you have this wait list are you too busy to go and just swim in Cher's pool I am never too busy for Cher I just you know they say like never meet your heroes I'm like so anxious about that aspect but I mean what an incredible life in history and you're gonna see me there eventually I promise I don't know where I heard that, but I'm just, I've met Cher before, but not very briefly. And it's, it's just what you think that Cher is Cher. People are like, she's Cher. There's, there's nothing. uh, I'm going to have to check it out. You've you've inspired me to pick up the phone. (laughs) What do you want people as they, you know, anyone who hasn't watched these nine episodes that have all dropped on Netflix, like what do you want people to take away as they watch Life After Death with Tyler Henry? I would say one of the biggest takeaways of the show on Netflix, Life After Death, is really about the importance of honoring our loved ones in the here and the now and preventing ourselves from experiencing future regret. As I've said before, so many people that come to me come with regret, what went unsaid, what went undone. And I think the show really is a reminder of, you know, picking up the phone, don't go to bed angry. Um, Make sure that those in your life that you value, that you're on at least uh, terms that you'd be willing to go out on. (laughs) And uh, so often we kind of always assume people are going to be there. And the show's a reminder that, you know, life happens, life can be fickle and it's fragile and we have to make the most of it for those who are, who are in it. So knowing that, that life is fickle and make the most, I mean, do you, like, has your own personal experience with death in your life of people you lost and like, do you fear death or you handle death? I guess it's like two questions. Like you, when you've lost people, how have you reacted? And like, do you fear death knowing what you know? It's definitely given me an insight that death is just an inevitable part of life. One that people don't like to talk about, but you know, I still look both ways when I cross the street, I still do everything I can to be self-preserving, to try to stay alive, to try to be healthy. Uh, It's given me a deep appreciation for what it means to be alive. Um, It reminds me of the quote of, you know, uh, getting older is a privilege denied to many. And it is really true. It truly is a privilege denied to many. So it's given me a deeper appreciation for longevity, for health, for wellness, um, and just the importance of staying alive. That makes a lot of sense too. What about, right, so you, why do you think there are so many, just a two-part question too, why do you think there are so many naysayers? Is it just that we, we don't understand things that we can't comprehend? And look, you're a professional, you're doing this, you're, you know, your goal is to bring this relief or just understanding to the other person, but it has to feel a little good as we've seen on this show so many times when you have that naysayer and then you bring up that little fact and they're like, oh my God, 
you're the real deal? Like it's, it's a two-part question. For sure. It's definitely gratifying for me. You know, I think when it comes to that, my, my big goal is to not to be somebody who's trying to convert people, right? I do what I do with the goal of just helping people um, in front of me. But the beauty is, is, you know, through the show, we've seen so many skeptics really transform into believers. And I think for me, when it comes to why there's such a resistance, you know, I, I think of what I do as being ideological and anything ideological like religion or politics, right, are not typically things you bring up at the dinner table. Um, they're things where people are very impassioned by. You typically kind of uh, have a bit of a binary on anything ideological. There's two sides. And so naturally, I think being that it is ideological, you're going to deal with people who just simply don't believe. And I kind of to some represent that belief. And so I expect it and I honor it. And I think, you know, it's, it's really okay. I think when it comes to the unknown, you know, there's a great quote of, you know, we don't fear the unknown. We fear what we think we know about the unknown. And I think that's very true when it comes to what I do. I think a lot of people just fundamentally don't understand mediums, psychics, even what we claim to do on an individual level. So it's very easy to make kind of broad uh, judgments out of convenience. So I just try to focus on what I can do for the person I'm reading and see if they get something out of it. And if they do, then uh, I've done my job. You don't glow just a little bit when that person has that light bulb moment of like, oh my God. Well, I feel thankful to be able to act as a catalyst for people, some people, uh, to recognize that there is more to life than what we see and maybe approach life in a more meaningful way. Um, to be able to get that validation and start that process, at least, is, is really gratifying for me. But, you know, readings are not a cure-all. I certainly don't get it right all the time. Um, you know, my goal is just to try to leave people better than I find them. I love it. Well, a lot of this, too, is I've seen your live shows. Now, let's talk about that because you are now pretty much April. You're on the road off and on for like the next year, basically. Yes. Yep. Back about 50 shows or so. So I'm excited. Hitting the road is so different than one-on-one readings, but it's so gratifying. And then I'm able to do a lot of readings in a short period. (laughs) Are you, because like I said, I've been at your shows. I mean, when you're done seeing a Tyler Henry show in person in this big stadium, man, and I am not... I'm not one, like I'm not an emotional person. I'm from New York. I'm hardened. Man, it is an emotional evening. You, even if you're not even near that person, you're like, you leave crying and tears. Like, are you exhausted after these shows? You know, it's exhausting and invigorating. What I love so much about live shows is, you know, you might have 2,000 or 3,000 people there and not everybody's going to receive a reading as much as I would love to. Uh, But what you find is that there's certain common threads that exist within every reading that I think people can take away from. And in that way, I think through other people's readings, through other people's validation, you can get a sense of validation in your own loss and in your own relationship with your loved ones who've passed. So, you know, the the audience kind of starts as 3,000 separate people. And by the end of it, I feel like everyone kind of walks away thinking about each other, thinking about each other's stories and loss and resilience. And it's a bit more of a group by the end of it. I I, I would agree. Like, I've never gotten a personal reading at one of your shows, but you leave understanding your own losses that you've suffered with your immediate circle from other people's stories. Thank you. Yeah, it's really the goal at the very least. <laughs> it's, well, it's go- goal accomplished. Thank what you. about your new book, Here and Hereafter? 
So here and hereafter was really the culmination of the work during the pandemic. I had a lung collapse and almost died and had a lot of downtime in the hospital to try to recover. I was hospitalized for over a month and had a lot of time to really reflect around kind of what I've learned, what I wanted to share and put out in the world. And for me, really, the book, to put it concisely, is, you know, if the departed could live again, what would they do differently? And I think there's a lot of value in looking at other people's mistakes, learning from other people's mistakes. And in that way, I think we can kind of see those who've lived and died and if they would do it over what they would do differently and how that can benefit our lives. What about before we wrap up, you know, have you, you know, you say like you're still growing as a medium, which makes sense because you're only 26 years old, not to age myself here, but through this wonderful Netflix show, Life and Death, life, have you learned anything about yourself? Like, did you learn anything about yourself as a medium from this Netflix experience in these nine episodes and these readings? One thing I've learned as a result of doing this show is that uh, learning is on the other side of our comfort zone. And it is so true for me. I mean, these readings for me uh, are a lot emotionally, physically, there's a degree of expectation that you have to manage as a medium. Um, and it's very often uncomfortable. You know, I want to share what I get with people. I want to help them. I want to make sure people have a meaningful experience. But there's always that risk that I'll be wrong or that nothing will happen. And so being able to take that leap of faith uh, really is one of trust and has really taught me that that's where the most growth is, is when you can kind of face those things that make you want to retreat and do it in a meaningful way. And it, you prove to yourself you can. Wow. Well, again, Life After Death with Tyler Henry, all nine episodes. Again, I just want to watch one, but it's phenomenal. Oh, I'm so glad you got something out of it. And I really hope you enjoy the rest of them. (laughs) I cannot wait. Is there anything else before we go that you want to bring up that I didn't bring up? I like to give people a chance at the end. Thank Thank you for answering my questions. Every question. You asked some questions other people haven't even asked. So amazing interview. I really appreciate it. I really appreciate your time. Where can everyone find you if they want to try to be on this show and be one of these 300,000 people that gets taken off the wait list? So my Instagram is probably the best way to get in touch. Uh, I go through there. If uh, Tyler Henry Medium is, is the URL. And let me restate that one. <laughs> my brain went, whoop, whoop, whoop. It's fine. The best way to potentially get a reading is to go over on Instagram. I'm at Tyler Henry Medium. And in my bio, I have all the links of where you can sign up for a reading or see where my tour schedule is going to be taking me over the next year. So it's all over there. I love it. Listen, to your entire team and you, I know you're very busy, you know, but I really appreciate you taking your time. I've wanted to talk to you for a while. So I really appreciate this. Of course, I'm always here and I hope to talk again. And thank you again. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to yet another episode of Behind the Velvet Rope. Because without you listeners, I would just be a crazy person with voices in my head. And if you like what you hear, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe on Apple Podcasts under Behind the Velvet Rope. And when you're done subscribing, feel free to leave a five-star write-up review. Because the write-up reviews actually count. We read each and every one of them. We post the best ones and the reviews really help our shows keep going. And we really appreciate everything you guys say, especially the positive ones. And if you want to find us online, we're at Behind Velvet Rope on Instagram. We are at David Yontef on Instagram. We're Behind The Velvet Rope on Apple Podcasts. 
or head on over to Patreon because you know what? There are just some things we can't talk about here. So for our bonus episodes, go to Patreon and type in Behind the Velvet Rope. And if you still aren't sick of me and you want more David, go to Cameo and book me on Cameo. And you can ask me anything there. I'll answer whatever you want. And I have a bargain basement price of $10. Thank you guys. See you soon.